you're listening to the skinny on this channel 88.5 wmnf my name is ben montgomery i am a journalist still are <laughs> still uh still am still is unemployed journalist call me a freelance journalist ray is that okay yeah i've been kind of dancing around what the title an, was going to be an independent journalist you that are an independent good. journalist in i like thought that. and in practice yeah 20 20 some odd years here in the tampa bay area yeah i had in my intro to call you a tampa man <laughs> that's great a tampa man i like that I will accept that. It feels like home. Uh, I am joined, uh, of course, like I am every Friday by my friend and colleague and co-host here, uh, Ray Roa, the executive editor of uh, the very good uh, Creative Loafing. Thank you. Still have a job. So that's good. To still have a job. Long live Creative Loafing. We are not joined today. Uh, unfortunately, by uh, our are we co-hosts? With yeah, three we're co-hosts. Or I, I feel like when we started this, we really felt like Mitch would drive the show, which he has. But um, you know, unfortunately, Mitch has this job where he has to be in Tallahassee for like seventy days <laughs> and we uh, are, sixty days. And we are glad that Mitch is up there doing that hard work uh, in his fancy sneakers. Yes, always has the best shoes. That's true. That's true. Uh, this show is the skinny, and uh, at any time, if you want to call in and chime in on our program today, which is a very good one, you can dial us by uh, by calling eight one three two three nine nine six six three. We're on every Friday at the eleven o'clock hour. Uh, we're here to talk. We got a busy show today. Yeah. So uh, later on in the show, second half, Andrew Warren's going to be here. Um, He's the ousted state attorney for the 13th uh, district here in Hillsborough County. We're going to update on his appeal in the 11th Circuit. And then uh, chair of the Florida Democrats, uh, Nikki Freed, will be here later um, as well. And that should be a great conversation. But Ben has a great uh, conversation teed up about a bill uh, moving through both chambers in the Florida legislature. An important conversation. Uh, Ray, if you're anything like me, uh, you once in a while venture into central Florida. You know, when people, I think, come here, they think of Florida as the coasts, as the beaches, as the ocean, uh, saltwater, and so forth. We have this great, uh, often sort of undiscovered interior part of the state, massive amount of land. Um, and by and large, a lot of people right now who are doing everything possible to try to protect uh, what is left of interior Florida, of wild undisturbed uh, interior Florida so that we all can enjoy uh, so that we all can enjoy uh, uh, nature, uh, so we can enjoy clean water and fresh air, uh, the fish and the wildlife, and so on and so forth. Um, as you know, though, Ray, about nine hundred people move to Florida every day, uh, and that's been the packed. case for that's been the case for quite a few years. These are people, and they bring their things with them, and they need places to put those things. And they need uh, fancy man-made lagoons. They do need man-made lagoons. Who can't uh, come to Florida without? Uh, without a, a canal or a lagoon, right? So, um, so uh, into this mix, into this. So, as as a result, uh, as you know, Florida is kind of this place that's always in flux. It always mm-hmm. feels in flux. And Susan Orlean made a great case for this uh, in the opening of the Orchid Thief, talking about how um, things shift here. It's but we're built on sand, right? And we're mm-hmm. always moving. We're always changing. And if you've ever seen, uh, especially if you're here around 2006 or 2007, you saw. Uh, the end of the housing boom of that era, and you saw these sort of uh, mid-progress neighborhoods kind of go untouched for a period of time, and nature 
culture begin to reclaim those neighborhoods. And that's what happens. Things never die in Florida, always, uh, except for woke. Woke comes here to die, well, right? Woke but, <laughs> uh, but nothing else dies in Florida. Everything is always in flux and always growing. Um, into this weird mix of, uh, of, uh, of Florida development and uh, this constant battle between nature and the built environment uh, comes of a controversial bill that I want to talk about today, a Senate bill uh, 540, which has an accompanying bill in the House. Uh, we're bringing on uh, Gil Smart, who is the um, policy director for Friends of the Everglades, uh, who can talk about this bill for us. But it's a, uh, just to set it up, it's, um, uh, it's a bit of a controversial bill, primarily because uh, first of all, uh, Florida Springs Council is calling it the bill to protect developers from lawsuits. Um, uh, this would essentially allow prevailing parties to recover attorney's fees and challenges to comprehensive plans and plan amendments. Um, and uh, it, it has uh, been sailing uh, through committees here. So, uh, Gil uh, Smart, please, uh, please, we're having you on today to talk about this. Help us understand why um, environmentalists are worried about uh, Senate Bill 540. What does it aim to do and what's the concern here? Hi, guys. Thanks for having me on. So, uh, I think the description from the Florida Springs Council is apt. This is designed uh, to basically intimidate citizens who, uh, you know, participate in the, the sort of the civic process. It uh, so if you file, a, let's say, you know, you're a local citizen and, and there's a, a proposal for a comprehensive plan change in your neck of the woods. You know, comprehensive plans are supposed to guide development in Florida communities, uh, you know, sort of in a very systematic, very orderly fashion. Yep. Uh, but people often, developers often ask for uh, exemptions for comprehensive plan amendments that basically allows them to build and develop in areas where the comp plan says you shouldn't build or develop, right? right. And they tend to be very controversial at the local level. Uh, you know, I, I, I'm speaking to you from Martin County. Uh, we've had some of this going on here. Uh, a lot of communities have seen this. They tend to be very, very controversial issues. And, you know, sometimes then, the local county board of commissioners uh, votes to approve the comp plan amendment. And what can happen then, the situation now prior to this legislation is that, look, if you, you know, are part of the group of people that doesn't want this, you think it's a bad idea, you think it's a bad decision to allow this amendment, to vote for this amendment, right now you can file an administrative challenge. Basically, you can sue. Mm -hmm. uh, and, you know, if you, if the an administrative law judge agrees with you, uh, it, it can get tossed out. Um, the, this legislation, a, a regular citizen can put a halt to a uh, development in this in this fashion. It gives it's sort of like a last stop. Is that right? Effectively, yeah. You know, I mean, I, we see it as sort of like a crucial check and balance on development. You know, mm -hmm. this is this is a uh, uh, you know citizens have the right to do this. And this uh, legislation, however, would make it so that if you, if me, I as, as a citizen, uh, challenge one of these uh, comp plan amendments in court and I lose, I'm on the hook for the other side's legal fees, okay? Uh, and it's not just gonna be the local municipality, it might be any interveners, which means like the developers themselves, mm. okay? So in effect, you if, if you try to file such a challenge, you're taking a huge financial risk. You're basically risking the fact that if you lose or if it's ultimately overturned, uh, if it goes to the governor and his cabinet, you know, who who review these these uh, decisions, yeah. if it's overturned or if you lose, you know, you could be looking at thousands, tens of thousands of dollars. It's got to come out of your pocket to pay the other side's legal fees. So 
Obviously, that's going to result in fewer people challenging these uh, uh, these comprehensive plans, these comprehensive plan amendments. And I have to say that certainly seems like the intent of the bill. The intent of the bill certainly seems like it's to intimidate people and prevent them from doing this and prevent them from sort of engaging in this aspect of the process of the process. Well, speaking of you that, know, the, uh, uh, the 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 bill sponsor in the Senate, Nick uh, DeSegli, uh, who's mm-hmm. uh, from Indian Rocks Beach, served as a as a, uh, a House of Representatives uh, member uh, a few terms. Um, he's a Republican and uh, owns a small business, a trash uh, collecting business in Indian Rocks Beach. Uh, he says, you, you want to give the citizen, this is a quote you, from, uh, from the Florida Phoenix, um, you want to give the citizen who's challenging that or whatever entity challenging that some skin in the game. Having the skin in the game for these prevailing attorney's fees is essentially the spirit of this bill. So that's the bill sponsor sort of saying you, we need to put pressure on those who might challenge this. Um, uh, that is, uh, it seems to me like, like the skin in the game is the, is, is actual skin, right? Like we're talking about the environment, yeah. people standing up to protect, uh, their property, uh, to protect nature and so forth. Right. So we're right. I mean, you know, thousands of dollars, tens of thousands of dollars. That's a heck of a lot of skin. Yeah. You know? Uh, yeah. And, and as I mentioned, Virtually all of these comprehensive plan amendments, let's just say many of them, a great many of them are very, very controversial at the local level. You know, people, you have a a comprehensive plan in your community. And again, it's supposed to guide how development uh, proceeds, where development goes. And it's like this well thought out document that takes quite a long time for municipal officials to come up with. But then here comes somebody who says, well, I own a piece of land on the other side of this line and I want to build there. So they ask for a comp plan amendment and you know how it goes, you know, if the local officials see it the developer's way, perhaps they get campaign contributions from developers, that sort of thing. You know, then the the developer tends to get the benefit of the doubt. You know, these amendments that doesn't, happen. Ha- that doesn't happen in Florida. No, well, never in Florida. <laughs> this is just a theoretical, of course, right. it would never happen in Florida. But. Uh, you know, but again, they tend to, you know, you tend to have these community meetings. We saw one in Martin County where just the rooms are packed. These people come out. These are not simple decisions. And any insinuation that uh, an administrative challenge filed by a citizen is a frivolous lawsuit, we've already got measures in place to prevent that. These are not frivolous challenges. These are challenges being filed by people who have a stake in the future of their community, who care very deeply about the future of their community, who feel that this is the only recourse they have because they feel that you know, local government uh, in passing these comp plans or comp plan changes weren't wasn't listening to them for whatever reason. So this is again, it's a right citizens have. And and don't get me wrong, this legislation, if passed, wouldn't necessarily take away that right. It would just intimidate people too much to exercise that. Right. It, it again, would up the, it substantially would up the stakes for for uh, for the for the citizen who who right, uh, exactly. may find themselves face to face with uh, you know in a David versus Goliath type and, situation. Uh, if you're just right. tuning and in, who's going to do that? Yeah. Who's going to take that chance? Who's going to take the chance that they lose? Well, so you're going to have. Well, you know, the question is, uh, I mean, you know, I, I imagine Friends of the Everglades has a has a legal fund and has. Um, uh, has the ability to support citizens in that regard? Is that? I mean, we have we have uh, been involved in lawsuits mm-hmm. uh, before, but and there are public interest lawyers around the state who specialize in sort of land use issues. Uh, very, and some of them have said that you know this could sort of be the in, the the end of of you know that line of legal work because frankly, again, who's going to do this? Yeah. What local citizen is going to take? What what organization is going to take on? 
you know, this responsibility, you know, if you face the, the prospect of tens of thousands of dollars of legal fees for the other side, you know, and, and again, it, it's meant to intimidate. It's obviously meant to intimidate. Yeah, you put some skin in the game. It's like your whole, the entire skin off all your body is how much it is, right, you know, right, so. Right. And if uh, you you're know. just tuning in, that's the voice you're hearing is Gil Smart, policy director for the nonprofit Friends of the Everglades. We're discussing uh, a pair of legislation, uh, legislative bills moving in through the legislature in Florida. Um, essentially, uh, the bill's prevailing party attorney fees provision would effectively eliminate the planning challenges from citizens and the public. Um, if, if you want to call Gil, 813-239-9663. We can uh, patch and you in, take some questions, 813-239-9663, DJ at WMNF.org if you like. And Gil, uh, Tracy McManus in the in the Tampa Bay Times pointed out uh, early in March that this was uh, among a number of bills that 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 um, this sort of uh, aimed to uh, uh, remove power from um, locals, uh, preemptive bills that sort of redirect um, uh, power from uh, you, you know from individual local governments to uh, to the state. Are you noticing this? Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, we're calling this, we've been calling this the session of sprawl because it almost seems as it's been like this concentrated effort by the sprawl industry, by the development industry, uh, to push through a number of these types of bills uh, this year. We got another one uh, that we've been watching. It's House Bill 1515, uh, Senate Bill 170. Uh, it's called Local Ordinances. This would effectively make it easier for local businesses to sue local governments uh, for passing an ordinance that impacts the bottom line. Uh, and requires local governments to come up with a, quote, business impact estimate for any ordinance they pass. So you can see how, like, local clean water rules or single-use plastic bans, like, you know, bans on uh, uh, plastic straws or plastic bags, even when passed by a local government doing so at the behest of their citizens who think this is a good idea, who want to do these things for, you know, solid environmental purposes, if a business says, no, that impacts my bottom line, you know, to such an extent that I'm going to sue, uh, uh, enforcement of the ordinance has to be suspended while the suit's underway. If the business wins, they can uh, win up to $50,000 in legal fees from the local government, uh, and the ordinance can be scuttled. So, uh, you know, here's another instance of where, you know, uh, we're going to sort of take power out of the hands of the locals. Uh, and there's another bill as well. It's uh, This is House Bill 41. Uh, this uh, uh, would effectively outlaw referendums or citizen initiatives on land development regulations. You know, you've got a comp plan, a developer comes in, files for development, and then the community comes up with land development regulations, which let's say in your community, uh, you've always had a four story height limit, but now your local government decides, now we're gonna let people build up to 10 stories. Hmm. That sort of thing. This is actually happening in, in one town in Florida. Uh, and you challenge that. And you're, uh, you know, via referendum, put it on the ballot. Well, you're not going to, if, if House Bill 41 becomes law, you wouldn't be able to do that. Anymore. So again, we're, we're seeing these efforts to take power and authority out of the hands of the locals uh, and either give it to Tallahassee, just, you know, or, or basically give it to the development industry, uh, you know, and it's, it's pretty brazen, uh, a is lot this of this a, stuff. Is well. this a byproduct of uh, Republican supermajorities? Well, I think that's one of the reasons it moves through. It, it, it tends to move through with so little opposition. Yeah. You know, virtually, you know, none of these bills are, are being uh, facing any significant opposition whatsoever. You know, and, and again, you know, this is hardly the first year uh, that the legislators up in Tallahassee have uh, passed preemption bills. This has been kind of a recurring theme over the last few years. You know, it is interesting, though. You know, we talk a lot, of, you know, 
about, you know, freedom here in Florida. But, you know, you have the state government taking more and more authority from the local government. And I don't know how that comports with that. But, you know, uh, well, again, I think it, you it, just it, have to call it freedom. Yeah, you know, it's freedom. You just say freedom over and over. Yeah. And then pretty soon and, and people Gil, forget. Uh, we have some calls coming in, but I want to ask you real sure. quick. You know, you're talking about things that affect local people. And we're going to have Andrew Warren and Nikki Fried on here later in your lobbying efforts and your and your messaging. How? How do you how do you feel about do you feel like your message about these bills and this legislation is getting lost in some of the culture wars going on and some of these other you things? know the the culture wars certainly obscure a lot of these sort of meat and potato issues you know I don't know if it, that's by design but it's certainly very effective uh, in sort of drowning out or, or, or sort of deflecting attention uh, from some of these you know a cynic might yeah. say you know you, you fight you, you file the culture war bills so these bills can sort of sneak by undetected I don't know. But, you know, people are paying attention and, and we and other organizations have been very proactive uh, in trying to get people to speak up and speak out and contact Tallahassee. Uh, we know uh, there was a, a, a Senate Rules Committee a hearing on Senate Bill 540 uh, earlier this week. And we know that thousands of thousands and thousands of emails were sent uh, to the committee, to the committee chair, basically saying, you know, thumbs down on this bill. It, you know, it still sailed through. But people are paying attention to this and, and we need more people to pay attention to it. And again, it's not just what the bill does. It's the way it's the way the legislature sort of goes about trying to strip this authority, strip this power yeah. uh, from local people who know best. So, And uh, we got some emails and, and calls coming in. We're going to go to the phones here in a second. We got an email from Gary Gibbons who says, as a semi-retired lawyer who has counseled groups who wanted to challenge zoning or comp plan amendment changes, I can say unequivocally that this bill will effectively kill challenges from the public. No longer will neighborhoods risk speaking out. Environmental groups may not have the resource to do so either. All hail to the developers, he says. They get whatever they want in Tallahassee where preemption is king. And we're going to go, I thought we were going to go to Brandon. Maybe we'll try to go to Brandon here. Uh, are you there? You're here on MNF. Uh, hello. Hey, got a question? Hey. Yes. Hey, my name is DeAndre. Thank you for taking my call. I'm glad for this forum. Is there a way to. Well, my family has been dealing with this matter of preemption for, like, generations, my family and community. Mm -hmm. I'm from downtown Tampa. Um, we could never. Oh, no, we, we lost. We uh, lost DeAndre. DeAndre there. We'll go to another call here. DeAndre, if you can hear us, give us a call back. I want to hear that. Yeah. Hello, you're on the air, WMNF. Hey, good morning. Um, quick question for your caller. And although I don't agree with anything that's going on in Tallahassee, these are voted, these are elected officials who have been voted in by the people of Florida. Are we just, are we just on the wrong end of the majority? Is democracy actually working? And we just happen to be sitting in a state that wants everything that these representatives are pushing through. Just wanted to know That's what an interesting you thought about that. Gil, do you want to get the first uh, whack sure. at that? I mean, obviously, development is but one of many issues uh, that people base uh, their vote on. And there may be a million reasons why they like their local state rep or their state senator. But, I, you know, what's interesting, though, and, and we try to make the connections because I don't think a lot and a lot of times people make connections, you know. The issue of development in particular is is increasingly contentious across Florida because it's a huge contributor to our economic uh, well-being, uh, to you know Florida's fiscal success. But at the same time, find me a person who's not annoyed because they're sitting longer in traffic than they were a year ago. 
Right. You know, find me a person who's not aggrieved because, you know, the, the field down the street from their house is now being turned into some 400 unit, quote unquote, luxury townhome development mm -hmm. uh, in an area where, you know, they've already seen, you know, wildlife just and habitat just wiped out in order to build more of the same. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, development has to occur, but it has to occur in a rational, very considered fashion. The problem with these bills is they try to knock down, you know, all all this all this the signposts. They try to just, you know, put push as much product through the grinder as is humanly possible with and it's and it's reckless. And I think people don't people see these things happening in their communities, but they don't necessarily connect it to the votes being cast by their local representative or by their senators. And they should. Yeah. And that's one of our messages is look, you know, we've got these local government officials who are voting for these things that ultimately are leading to more traffic and more loss of habitat in your hometown, you know, and I don't think a lot of people sort of make that connection, but that's exactly, that's exactly what it is, you know? And so if people start thinking in those terms, you know, uh, I think they begin to understand a little bit more how, you know, I may have elected, you know, Joe, Joe Schmo for cultural issues, but then that's a package deal with that. You get, yes votes on legislation like this. Yeah. So. We got a question here out of uh, Wesley Chapel. Uh, Marita from Wesley Chapel, you're here on the air with, with Gil from Friends of the Everglades. Hey, Marita. Having some connection issues there. A little uh, trouble hearing you, Marita. If you... We're going to go to the next question here. Hey, you're on the air here at WMNF. Nope. WMNF, you there? <laughs> <laughs> hey okay. guys, don't blame us. Uh, listen, we had to shift studios uh, earlier today, and I don't know if the, if it's that or, or whatever. We're losing some calls, so uh, thank you, Gil, for your patience. Thanks for sticking with us. Sure. Yeah, the voice you're hearing uh, on the air and that you've heard for the last half hour is Gil Smart, policy director for the nonprofit Friends of the Everglades. What, talking. Oh, go ahead, Ben. Yeah, no, I was going to say. So, what uh, what can citizens do uh, to if they want to have their voices heard in, in terms of these bills, Gil? What's the most efficient use of one's time when it comes to objecting to things like this email or call okay your local representatives or senators and let your feelings be known uh a calling actually may be more effective than emailing emailing might be easier but you know these folks pay attention when they get feedback from constituents uh and the more feedback they get the more attention they're forced to pay uh, it's just again uh these bills have been sailing through the process so far uh, unfortunately, and uh, you know, if, if they're going to be if they're going to be stopped, if if there's going to be questions raised about this, uh, about these issues, it's got to come from you know uh, elected officials who are hearing from their constituents, from a lot of their constituents, uh, who are saying, "Don't do this. Vote against this." You know, uh, so you know, I mean, that, that's something everybody can do. You know, uh, and there's no. They haven't made that illegal yet. So. <laughs> right, right. You're and, listening to WMNF. We got another call. Yeah, here. we'll squeeze in one last call here, Gil, before we get to uh, sure. Andrew Warren here. Hello, Marita. Yes. There you go. Hello. Can you hear, can you hear me? Yes, yes we can. Thanks. Okay. Uh, my question is, on this new bill, is it work like reciprocal, like if the uh, individual citizen would win? And does the corporation that they're suing, do they have to pay their legal costs? Gil, do you know the answer to that? Uh, 
Yes, the, the answer is yes. Now, normally who they would sue would be the local municipality. Uh, uh, and uh, the developers can uh, join as what's called an intervener. Uh, but basically the lawsuit would be filed against the county or the city, you know, if it's a city that has Hello. the conflict. Right, right. Um, but, uh, you know, as, as and, you know, as noted, citizens do win some of these at, you know, it goes to an administrative law judge. When you file a challenge, it's an, administra an administrative challenge. It goes to an administrative law judge. And uh, the citizens do win some of these, which, you know, under the under the uh, uh, this proposal could mean that their legal fees would be paid by the other sides. But but uh, virtually every time that a, an administrative law judge, uh, you know, sides with the citizens, it gets appealed mm. and it gets appealed to it's ultimately the governor and his cabinet who hear these appeals. And mm. let's just say they're not famous for agreeing with the administrative law judge. Uh, they have have overturned many. And, and so this would mean that even if you win at the administrative law judge level, if you go on, it gets appealed and you lose, then you're on. And, you know, you've got an extra sort of layer of litigation there that basically people racking up even more legal fees that you are now on the hook for. Pretty wild. The, yeah. So. Well, Gil, thank you so much for joining us. That voice there, Gil Smart, policy director for the nonprofit Friends of the of the Everglades. Uh, go to WMNF.org. We'll put some links to uh, Gil's group and the bills that we're talking about today. We're going to let you go here, Gil. And uh, we're going to try to catch Andrew Warren. He's in between meetings uh, this morning. He's been pretty busy since last summer. Um, so uh, for anyone who just started reading news maybe today, uh, decided they want to pay attention to those Google alerts. Um, Recording in progress. <clears throat> Andrew Warren is Hillsborough County's elected state attorney in the 13th. Uh, he was removed last summer by Governor DeSantis, who accused him of, quote, unquote, uh, incompetence and willful defiance of his duties. Um, since the political removal, uh, Warren has brought his argument uh, for reinstatement to the Florida Supreme Court, where uh, last week DeSantis's lawyers asked the court to toss out Warren's case. Um, before going to the Florida Supreme Court, um, Attorney Warren filed a federal lawsuit challenging his ouster, um, and U.S. District Court Judge Robert Hinkle ruled the suspension did violate the Florida Constitution and the U.S. Constitution, but Hinkle said he lacked the authority to reinstate um, Andrew, uh, Warren has since appealed um, Hinkle's decision in the 11th. Um, the governor was supposed to file a response uh, yesterday. And uh, correct me if I'm wrong here, Andrew, but I think uh, yesterday DeSantis' team basically uh, used a similar argument that your speech, uh, maybe uh, when you pled not to press charges against uh, those receiving abortions or their doctors, was not protected speech. How accurate is that, uh, State Attorney? Yeah, I mean, that's, uh, first of all, thanks for having me. Um, thanks for coming Thanks for on. making time for us. I know uh, we don't have you for that long. No, of course. Uh, yeah, I mean, you have it right. Uh, I mean, at the end of the day, this is about the fact that uh, the governor attacked me and suspended me and has suspended me from office because he disagrees with me politically. And that's what a court found. That's just not my opinion. That's what a court found. And... Uh, as this makes its way through two different courts now, the governor's uh, response has been to repeat allegations that a court already found not only to be false, but that the governor's team knew were false at the time they made them eight months ago. That's that's where we are. And how, how has this week been? I know the last time we talked, uh, you did have a big week coming up. What's it been like since, I guess, yesterday when, when that was filed? And what's kind of coming up for you as, as you continue this fight for reinstatement? 
Well, um, as you alluded to, we have two different cases going forward. One is the appeal of the judge's decision. And just to pause on that, the appeal is because the judge in finding, you know, he had three main findings. One was that the allegations against me were completely false. Not even close was the language he used. Right. The second finding from the court was that I'd done my job extremely well, consistent with how I told voters that I would. And the third finding the judge had, and this is the most important, was that uh, DeSantis broke state and federal law by suspending me without any legal basis and that he did so for politics and for publicity. Now the court said, I don't have the jurisdiction as a federal court to reinstate you. But so we're not, we're appealing just that one narrow issue of whether a court does have jurisdiction, given the fact that he found that the governor broke state law and federal law in suspending me for politics and publicity. Mm. And we that, some, case, no, go ahead, that case sorry. is set for oral argument before the court in May. Then there's the separate case going on in the Florida Supreme Court. Um, and, and again, this just goes back to the fact that the governor has done things, you know, he he's talked about the rule of law. He accused me of not following the rule of law. And then when you put those allegations under the microscope, when you bring them into the sunlight in our state and they're shown to be completely false, they're shown to be hypocritical. Now the governor's the one who's breaking the law. The governor's the one who's not upholding the law. And he just shrugs his shoulders and says, well, you know, make me. And uh, we have so we're cramming as much as we can uh, with you, state attorney. Um, so it's interesting because you're elected. So these people calling in are literally constituents. Uh, Dave from Sarasota has a question for you. We're going to bring him on the air right now. Yeah, hey, Dave. Um, hi. Um, I was wondering how Mr. Warren thought about Vicentis uh, uh, saying he wouldn't uh, stand for extradition, extradition of President Trump if he needed to be extradited considering what happened to Mr. Warren. Okay. Uh, thanks for the call there. Is that something you're comfortable chiming in on, uh, Andrew? Yeah. I mean, it's, uh, look, the governor apparently needs to suspend himself now from office. <laughs> I mean, he, he made these false allegations against me that I wasn't going to enforce the law. Of course, he hasn't identified a single law, not one, not one instance where I didn't actually enforce the law. Um, but he says I wasn't going to do it. And now he blatantly comes out and says, I'm not going to enforce the law that he's required to do, you know, under federal law to extradite a man who's now been charged with a crime. It's just, it's hypocrisy 101. Okay, thanks, hey, Dave, for that call. Ben. I, 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 uh, <laughs> I am unemployed uh, <laughs> for three weeks now. How are you doing? I really appreciate the question. Um, this has been extremely difficult on me and my family I'll bet. You know, personally and professionally. Um, but this is a fight worth fighting. It's not about me and my position as much as it's about the rule of law and free speech and the meaning of elections in our state and the fact that no one is above the law. And so as difficult as it's been for me, you know, I'm honored to be able to be the tip of the spear in this fight that is going to impact things for, you know, a generation for people who really believe in our values. Do you feel supported, Andrew? I do. Um, you know, I, I've had so many people who have supported our legal fund. Uh, you can check on that at andrewwarrenfl.com. People who have just stopped me in the street and say, you know, we're with you. And 
perhaps the most important thing, people who have come up to me, I had someone come up to me and say, I didn't vote for you and I wouldn't vote for you next time, but what the governor did is wrong. That's not America. And, and that gives me confidence that people see through this political stunt. And so I, you know, to that gentleman, I went, thanks. And let's, let's figure out how I can get you to vote for him next time. But, you know, <laughs> that, that's a, that to me is the essence of what makes our state and our country so great. People who are able to put the partisanship aside and really see this for what it is, which is about a fight about our values. You know, one of the first phone calls I made after uh, I watched the uh, after I watch you uh, uh, get fi- get fired, uh, get suspended on uh, on my on my computer uh, at that press conference, one of the first calls I made was to your former opponent, Mark Ober, um, who I did not see on that stage, and I was curious about that, and I never heard back from him, um, but I wonder if you have. I haven't spoken with Mark about this, um, you know, but there are a lot of people in our community and across the state and country who are able to see the bigger pictures of things. Hmm. And, you know, like you can like a politician, you can support the politician, you can believe in that politician. But when they do something that's wrong, when they do something that's illegal, like DeSantis has done, you need to be willing to speak up against it. You need to be willing to put that partisanship aside. You know, I, I have two little girls. I've been coaching my older daughter's softball team for years. I would hope that in a situation where, you know, the umpire in a softball game is basically cheating, but cheating in our favor, that not only the coaches, but the players and the parents would be like, hey, we, it's, you know, winning is important, but we don't want to win like this. Mm-hmm. We want people to follow the rules. And that's the example we all want to set for our kids. So when you see people who, you know, I don't agree with politically and don't agree with me politically, but they say they know that this is wrong. And they say, I don't want to be a part of something that is so blatantly a violation of the rule of law. That to me is the essence of, of what our country is about. Yeah, and uh, you talked about being the tip of spear and how difficult this is and, and all the people who have come up to you. And then Ben alluded to that stage that day. That was a weird press conference, I think, for anybody. It was a press conference. Let's right, it was it a that. show. Right, yeah. so so and, and I wanted to cite some reporting from yesterday, Andrew, um, out of the Florida Phoenix, the Florida Sheriff's Association, Florida Police Chiefs, Florida Prosecuting Attorneys Association, they filed this 28-page friend of the court brief with the Supreme Court on Wednesday, supporting DeSantis's uh, contention that you abused your uh, prosecutorial discretion. Um, There were a lot of people on that stage, and it was kind of weird to see some of those people um, up there. What do you say to the recent brief that was filed and then these accusations? Yeah, look, we'll we'll respond to the briefs, you know, in court. Mm -hmm. That's the process to have these fights about the law. But it's important to keep in mind, again, you know, a a bigger issue that has crept up into our society over the last decade or so, where people don't just argue about positions anymore. They disagree with facts and they just repeat facts that are, you know, wrong. Like if it's as if the governor's coming out and saying congratulations to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers for winning, you know, the Super Bowl. And we're like, they didn't win the Super Bowl. And he just keeps saying it like they won the Super Bowl. And you have people being like, yeah, they won the Super Bowl. Like, 
can we, there are objectively, there's objectively right and wrong facts. Hmm. And we knew the facts were wrong from the beginning. A court of law has now said that the facts that the governor's alleged were totally false. And you still have people repeating these things because either they don't care to know the truth, they don't want to know the truth, or they're just falling into a line because, you know, they're partisan lackeys. Hmm. Uh, The voice you're hearing is Andrew Warren, a Tampa man. Um, He is the elected state attorney for SAO 13th fighting for reinstatement after being removed from office last summer by Governor Ron DeSantis. Um, Andrew, we appreciate you joining us here. Maybe we'll squeeze um, a couple of minutes uh, more out of you here. Uh, we have one email from Mark Parsons who said, um, I would like to know why DeSantis didn't fire the Florida sheriffs who made public statements that they would not enforce a mask mandate um, if it were to be um, enacted. Yeah, it's a great question. Uh, we should get the governor on to have him answer that. Or what about the sheriffs who said they wouldn't enforce laws regarding assault weapons? Hmm. Or what about every state attorney in the state of Florida who doesn't enforce adultery laws? I mean, adultery is illegal in the state of Florida. You know, the last time someone was prosecuted for it? I mean, look, prosecutors always uh, prioritize the prosecution of certain crimes over others. In my administration, we've prosecuted, we have prioritized the prosecution and the enforcement of laws that pose the greatest threat, the greatest danger to community. It's about public safety. And so if you don't want the state attorney to put more resources into prosecuting murder and rape and robbery cases than into prosecuting suspended, you know, driver's license cases, that's fine then vote for someone who's going to do that. That's a difference between me and the substitute state attorney who's in office now. You know, she said, well, all the laws in Florida are equal and they need to be equally enforced. I just disagree with that. Certain laws are more important than others. And, you know, we enforce them, but it's about priorities and where you put those resources. So the governor has just shown his hypocrisy on this. He has not suspended other people who have talked about priorities, even to the point of people, sheriffs who said they're not going to enforce the law. But that's why, as the judge found, this was entirely political. And that's why it was illegal. Thank you. State Attorney Warren there. Um, We're going to try to get Nikki Fried on. I know you are in between meetings, so I appreciate you making time for us, Andrew. Um, We'll be keeping an eye on this, obviously. I mean, everybody in Florida is is watching this, and uh, we hope to have you on the show again soon. I look forward to being back soon. Thank you so much. Have a great weekend. You too. Thank you. Appreciate it. You're listening to The Skinny here on WMNF Tampa. My name is Ray Roa, joined here by Ben Montgomery. Uh, This show airs from 11.06 a.m. to noon and plus one minute every Friday. Um, We are letting Andrew Warren go there. We're going to get Nikki Freed on the phone here, uh, we hope, for the last 15 minutes. Recording in progress. Nikki. Listen, we want to tell you, if you want to call us, by the way, for the rest of this time we got together, 813-239-9663, or send us an email at dj at wmnf.org if adultery is a crime. I'm Jesse James. <laughs> so we have uh, Democrat, the, the chairwoman of the Florida Democratic Party um, here with us now. Nikki Fried, are you there? No, she's not there yet. So just, just to prime this up, um, Nikki Fried knows a thing or two about Governor DeSantis after working with him and, and working up. I'll put that in quotes, I guess, uh, based on some of the meetings that she was locked out of and things like that. She was the Florida Commissioner of, Agricu- Commissioner of Agriculture from 2019 through 2023. Since then, uh, Commissioner Freed ran for governor, uh, but did not get the Democratic nomination here in Florida. And um, 
like the rest of us. Uh, she watched last November um, as a Republican turned Democrat, Charlie Chris, who who uh, folks in the Democratic Party did get behind. Uh, he was shellacked in, in the election, and uh, that led to big shakeups in the Florida Democratic Party um, that recently ended with uh, Nikki Fried being elected as the party's new uh, chairwoman. I know we're working on getting her on the air here. Um, are you there, Nikki? Here. Hey, thanks for joining us today. I know you're super busy um, as well. Um, a week ago, um, Chairwoman, you were arrested in Tallahassee along with uh, Senate Minority Leader Lauren Book as you protested uh, Florida's six-week abortion ban. Late yesterday, the governor signed Florida's six-week abortion ban, and uh, you've argued that the governor wants to take this ban nationwide. Can, can you talk a little bit about that and how the last few weeks have been? Yeah, well, last few weeks have been uh, obviously aggravating, frustrating. Uh, today, we are pissed off. Um, so, yes, last Monday, we were uh, with a whole bunch of women from across the entire entire state that came up to Tallahassee and other allies to protest uh, the, the six-week abortion ban. The, the near total ban here in our state that is the, one of the most extreme in, in the entire country. And so last Monday, uh, we were all peacefully protesting outside of City Hall, uh, using our First Amendment rights to speak out against our government. And unfortunately, uh, we were arrested um, for exercising that First Amendment right. Uh, but it has not discouraged us. We continued this week to protest and actually slept outside with um, so many of these organizations and supporters uh, last uh, Thursday night excuse me, Wednesday night. And unfortunately, on Thursday, it passed the Florida House, went over to the governor, and he took a very late night flight back from Ohio, once again on his book tour, not coming back to Florida to actually, I don't know, govern, uh, and, and signed it at about 1130 last night uh, with no camera mm. fanfare, um, middle of the night, basically. And we all woke up this morning to realize that uh, today, the people of our state are less free um, but we're going to continue to fight on. Uh, we might have lost the, the, the battle last night, but we are certainly not going to lose this war. And like something that's not lost on me here. I mean, we have three men sitting in the studio here. You're out there in your role talking to women who are deeply affected um, by this. Emotionally, what's it like for you? And, and what are some of the emotions that you're seeing from constituents out there as all of this is moving through? And then this morning, um, as you said, everybody was blindsided by the signing last night. There's lots of emotions. Um, there's lots of emotions of how did we get here? Uh, you know, this is a state that has always been, in the way I look at it, very, very libertarian in a lot of ways. You know, everybody kind of it's a melting pot. People coming from all across the country to live here. People coming from all across the world to live here. You know, we've got Key West, which is a very hands-off. Everybody kind of comes and does their thing. Mm. We've got Gasparilla. Uh, everybody comes and does their thing. And people come in from all over to travel to our beaches, to, to Disney. And this is not who we are. So it's a combination of how did we get here? Um, how have we fallen so far from this? We used to be blue state, purple state. And now we have um, an individual who is so extreme. Um, so the frustrations of... What else could have been done um, to just pure anger 
uh, that we've got not only the, the ambitions of one guy who wants to run for president of the United States and hell bent on doing it on the stepping on the backs of, of Floridians, but of course we have a whole bunch of Republican legislators that this wouldn't have been possible without them signing off on it. Uh, Republican legislation legislature that has been gerrymandered for the last 10, 20 years and now truly doesn't represent the will of the people. And 75% of those people did not want, 75% of the people of our state did not want what happened last night and this week. Um, but unfortunately we are where we are. There is gonna be a lot of fear uh, of women not knowing what to do next. If they've, uh, God forbid, get themselves into a situation where they have to make that choice. And now that choice is no longer afforded to them. Uh, so many women, especially women of color, um, are going to be disproportionately impacted that may not have, we know already, to not have the same access to health care uh, than others in our state. And we'll be in the same situation of having to make the decision of a forced birth um, or having to take it upon themselves to have a medical procedure that's unsafe. Uh, and this is going to be a time where you're going to start hearing more and more stories of of people dying um, because they're taken upon themselves. And of course, we know that this is all all fine and good. They want to, you know, we can just put them into into baby boxes. I think of what the Republicans calling, but um, I would love to hear them know that that there aren't enough foster beds, uh, there aren't enough foster parents, there is not enough social services um, for for these individuals, for the parents, and and for these children afterwards. Uh, so it's unfortunate that we have a government here that is not truly representative of the people. Can you get wonky with us a little bit, Chairman? What, what If you take a long look back, 30 years of Republican control in all three uh, chambers, um, uh, what, what happened in Florida to the, to the Democratic Party? I think it's a couple of things. And anyway, that, you know, what happened in November didn't happen overnight. It's 30 years in the making. And, and there's a combination of complicity that we used to be such a blue state and everybody, you know, took isolation needs individual election that, you know, Jeb was different than than previous Republicans that have been, you know, in office and, and that he was, you know, a president's son and grants, you know, and uh, brother in, in the White House um, to now where we are. And I think the people just, the Democrats just didn't understand that the demographics of our state were shifting, that the old blue dog Democrats were now registering as Republicans and didn't do a good enough job expanding the base. And then unfortunately, every single time we lose these big elections for, for governor, U.S. Senate, uh, less money comes in to help rebuild because you always are, are supporting those in power. Um, so less resources have been pumped into the state of Florida to rebuild. Um, and unfortunately, over the last 30 years, we as a Democrats, every time there's a loss of an election, we blame the chair. And, and so we are seeing cycles where every two years we are changing the chair of the Democratic Party, changing the executive leadership. And if you think about any other corporation, if every two years you're changing your CEO and leadership team, you're 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 doomed to failure and bankruptcy. And that's kind of where we we are. And unfortunately, I think the pandemic really what was the 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 nail in the coffin for us in respects to we stopped organizing, we stopped doing voter registration. Um, we stopped doing the door knocking and it just was, it was the perfect storm in 2022. You had an incumbent with a lot of money um, who was taking up all of the airspace and didn't have enough resources to really combat that. And so it, you saw in November a just complete collapse. And I guess that the, the, the silver lining is that 
And the Republicans have taken that 19 point victory, and I call it a 19 point loss of Democrats, not a 19 point Republican victory. And they have gone to the extremes and have gone to such a direction, not taking that leadership responsibility um, and not understanding the power that they have of a supermajority. That doesn't mean that you have that power and you're supposed to punch down and to suppress the other 40% of the state that didn't vote for you. That's not how government is supposed to work. You're supposed to govern for all of the people of your state. And so I do believe that the pendulum is going to swing back it's going to swing back faster and it's going to swing back harder because this is not what the people of our state want. Uh, it is that we are talking about issues that are impacting the people of our state and calling out the corruption, calling out the, these extreme policies that, again, are put into place to to make sure that one person is ready to run for president of the United States. I was actually talking to a Republican friend of mine uh, this morning and, and has been conservative his whole life. And his response to me was, Nikki, everybody is scared of him in the Republican party. That's how he governs in fear. And, and that's not how democracy and that's not how America is supposed to operate. And that's the voice of chairwoman Nikki Freed, chairwoman of the Florida Democratic Party. we got a few more minutes with you, and we have a call coming in here, Nikki, uh, from Port Ritchie. John has a question for you. John, you're on the air, WMNF. Hey, thanks thanks for the show. Um, first of all, uh, I think fair districts would take care of a lot of our problems, and I believe in this last time when we redid the districts, I think the governor actually did the maps and gave them to the uh, legislators, which was, I think, unconstitutional. And if that's the case, then could you argue that any bills passed or any laws, any bills turned into laws would be also be unconstitutional because the, the districts themselves were drawn unconstitutionally? And how do we get back to, I know that the, the Florida Supreme Court keeps saying those maps are right, but how do we get back to a real fair, equal districts where they're, they're actually competitive? Thanks, John. Uh, Chairwoman, anything to say to that? Yeah, a lot to say to that. Um, so the maps were drawn. That so here's here's a here's the issue um, to your caller. Um, the congressional maps were the ones that were drawn by DeSantis, um, and so those. So is not the legislative maps were still cut and done by by the legislature. Um, those have not been challenged. Um, so any thoughts of even reversing this stuff is. So the big thing right now is the congressional maps, uh, and that is still under review, and that is still in the courts. Uh, they they made sure that up in you know basically how they are cutting. They they got rid of two um, black minority majorities districts. Um, so those are what's under under review, and we do have fair districts inside of our inside of our constitution. It was voted on years ago, um, which is why the maps ten years ago um, were redrawn and and were kicked out. But unfortunately, the fair districts amendment didn't go far enough, I guess, to, to deal with the congressional maps and deal with what we're dealing with on the on the ground. Thanks, and I have a tougher question about the Tampa municipal election. I don't think it would be fair to ask you that uh, here as we approach the uh, <laughs> end, end, end of the show. Um, and I'm a fair person, you know, I'm a journalist and I'm fair, guys, <laughs> believe it or not. Um, you know, you can hear the fire in your voice when you're talking. 
um, you've energized the she party. Said the S word you said the S word on, on public radio. We, <laughs> thankfully, we have a dump button here. And uh, spaceship, spaceship, and that really great. Where's the button? Yeah, where's the button? I was like, where's that dump button? But you can hear it in you. And and you know, I think a lot of people are are rooting for you. And I think we've had a lot of conversations about what's happened to the Democratic Party. Um, tell us what is going to happen. Like, you've been in there now. You've been elected. How are you feeling? Like, are we going to register? Are, when I say we, I don't mean me. I'm just saying, is that party going <laughs> to register uh, of voters? Is it, is it going to happen? Also, like, and at what, at what point, if any, do do we run the risk of sort of losing um, the support of the – does the, the Florida Democrats lose a, run the risk of losing the support of the National Party? When does so, I mean, Florida I mean, no longer swing state? You know what I mean? That's the yeah. You didn't you didn't specifically say that Florida is a red state here. Nope, I didn't say it was a red state because yeah. um, I don't believe it's a red state. Yeah. I mean, while there while there is right now there is without a doubt uh, more Republicans register than Democrats, but almost one third of our registration is independent. Um, so when you take independent and Dems. Without a doubt, we outnumber the Republicans. And so what the problem has been, you know, to your earlier conversation, too, is that we haven't been messaging right. You know, Democrats love to be policy wonkish and love to be right. And so we sit here and we, and we go too deep into the weeds instead of, you know, the, the catchphrases that, that you see in the Republicans that, that stick like, I don't know, MAGA. Um, and, and so I'm going to kind of reverse the, the, the questions as far as the national policy. National. Um, Yes, in 2020 and 2022, um, we were not on the maps uh, for comp competition to get resources from the from the state to national um, Democrats, both on fundraisers, organizations. Um, they were not here, uh, less so in 2022 than they were in the presidential, and and so they have, in, in some respects, wrote us off. Mm. However, um, since the November loss they're waking up and realizing they cannot write us off. There is too much danger with having such a large state that is as diverse as ours um, and, and feel that they can just walk away from us. Uh, the messaging coming out of South Florida in the Hispanic circles, um, you know, permeates across the entire, you know, Hispanic community in the nation. Um, the policies are coming out of this radical Republican Party in Ron DeSantis um, is permeating across the country. You saw that the, that the that Congress passed the, the parental rights that came from Florida. Um, and so you they know that they've got to come in here. And I have a commitment from our, our national supporters, our national, our DNC chair was here uh, two weeks ago in Tallahassee working with me and others inside the party. Look, in Q1 of just this year, President Biden's been here once, the vice president's been here twice. Hakeem Jeffries, the speaker, my mind speaker of the house um, was here once. We had Al Sharpton here and then we had the chair of the DNC. So we are back on the maps because we have to be on the maps. We have to make sure that there's money flowing into the state. And what gives them even more excitement is and that it's me. To, uh Cut you off here, uh, Commissioner Free. That's Nikki Free, Chairman of the Florida Democratic Party. This has been the Skinny here on WMNF Tampa. My name is Ray. On behalf of Ben Montgomery, we appreciate you joining us, and we'll see you here next week. Thank you, Commissioner uh, Chairwoman Free. <laughs> Thanks for having me. All right, have a good one. Thank you, Ray.